0: Welcome to DT Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. I'm DT Kane, author of the epic fantasy series The Far Saga and The Spoken Books Uprising. Each week, I read from one of my novels, discuss my writing process, answer your questions, and have general discussions about fantasy fiction. It's like a book club, except I do all the work for you. Find show notes, info about all my novels, and much more at DTKane.com. Here's the show. Part 1. Chapter 1. Reading books can get you killed! Bastion stopped mid-sentence, the words turning oily and stale in his mouth, and glared up from the book his brother had set in front of him. They were sitting cross-legged across from each other on the cold, stone floor of Torchshire Library's speaking room. You say that every time, yelled Tex. I get it, alright? Tex pursed his lips. He hated being called by his full name. I repeat it because you don't really get it, Baz. It's not your fault. You can't until you've seen what it can actually mean. Do you remember Dad? Baz looked away. Of course he didn't. He'd only been three when it had happened. Perhaps he possessed a recollection or two of the tales Dad had used to tell of sailors braving the ocean vast. But even those might just be invented memories from how many times Tax had repeated those stories in the years since their father's death. Sorry, Tax said, running a hand over his shaved head, the only hairstyle permitted to speakers. I know, you were too young, but the fact remains, he couldn't read, and the readers still killed him because they suspected he was beginning to grasp the basics of the scribe's grammar. He never even laid eyes on the text of a spoken book. You have to be careful. Bass huffed out a sigh. You spend as much time warning me as you do teaching me, I know the readers are cruel, but if this is really so dangerous, why are we doing this at all? Tax's brows dropped over his probing green eyes. Unlike most speakers in the dreary city of Erstwhile, Tax had olive-toned skin, accentuating the brilliance of his eyes. Baz had similar eyes, but his complexion was pale as a ghost compared to his brother. Whereas Tax's eyes looked like a fortune of emeralds, Baz's were more like pea soup in dirty porcelain bowls. "'Because,' Tax said, voice gaining an edge. "'I promised Dad I'd take care of you, and a man always keeps his promises. "'That's what sets us apart from the readers, Baz. "'We keep our word. Don't forget that.' "'Baz nodded, shifting uncomfortably. "'Why did Tax always have to be so serious?' "'And,' Tax added, "'someone ought to be able to stand up to them. "'There's power in knowing the words, Baz.' I can't think of a better way to watch out for you than to give you some of that power. Baz sighed. Power and knowledge, power in knowledge. Tax was always talking like that. A quiet determination that he'd had for as long as Baz could remember, and one that Tax was set on passing on to him. Baz was slightly less concerned with such lofty goals, and more with setting things on fire. He was, after all, a destroyer. One reason he and Tax were allowed time alone at all was because Tax was a try, able to call forth the power of any of the types of spoken books, creation, destruction, and influence. Only one in a thousand speakers had such talent, and it made him extremely valuable, so he received extra privileges. Now, that didn't mean the readers treated him as an equal. He was still a slave. All speakers were. But among slaves, it's a great freedom to have even small parts of your waking hours to yourself, and Tax was given an hour a day for rest. He was supposed to take the time to relax in silence, give his voice a chance to recover after all the speaking that was required of him each day. In reality, he spent most of that time each day with Baz, and recently, they'd spent that time poring over the spoken book he'd hidden under a loose flagstone in the Duke's speaking room. The room was as spacious as it was cold. It was at the end of a long hallway, set apart from the rest of Torchsire Library, as were all speaking rooms. It wasn't common, but speakings could go terribly wrong if a speaker mispronounced a significant word, or a reader was sloppy in his or her recitation to the speaker. The speaking room at Prashat Library had been entirely razed by a destruction spell gone awry about ten years ago, shortly before Baz had been born. At one end of the room upon a raised dais was a shelf about half full with spoken books. It was one of the smaller libraries in erstwhile, but still enough books to be considered a grand fortune. The shelf was, of course, protected by locked iron grating, the space between its cross-hatched bars so minimal it was difficult to read the titles inscribed on the book's spines. The only other furnishings in the room were a lectern made of polished mahogany and a single chair behind it. Those were for the house's readers, of which Torchsire had ten, plus a few children in training. Speakers were never permitted to sit while they repeated the words of the books. Bad posture made for less powerful speakings, or so the reader said. Baz wasn't convinced. Tex had never told Baz where he'd gotten the book they were now reading, but it could only have come from this room. Books never left it without close scrutiny, and a book in the hands of a speaker was grounds enough for immediate execution so Tax certainly hadn't carried it into the speaking room from elsewhere. It'd likely been left on the lectern after a reading, and Tax had nabbed it during one of his rests. That had been maybe a year ago. Bass could vaguely recall the Duke being in a rage over a missing book, questioning all the library servants on suspicion one of them had stolen it. Such things weren't entirely unheard of. If one could find a buyer, the price of a single spoken book would be enough for a common illit to retire on. Of course... In practice, a book in the hands of an illit was about as illiquid an asset as they come. Might as well wear a sign saying you're a thief. Well, Baz said, I won't be able to do much standing up to anyone if you never teach me anything. Patience, Baz. Patience. Ah, Come on! I was nearly able to light the candle last time. Let me read and try again. Texas jaw set to a stern line for a moment, but then his face softened. He looked down into one side for a moment, a small smile momentarily crossing his lips. Baz hated that look. What? he demanded. Nothing, Tax said, still smiling. It's just... Nothing. Come, you're right. Caution only gets us so far. I must actually teach you something. Great, Baz said. He bent back over the book, placing a finger on the page at the beginning of the string of words that could call forth flame. They were strange, curly characters with the occasional sharp edge thrown in for good measure. He opened his mouth and... Wait, Tex said. Did you bring your heat source? As you gain ability, you'll be able to pull power directly from the elements in the ink. But you're not there yet, and it's cold as the icy heights in here. You'll need some sort of starter. Baz looked over his shoulder to hide a grimace. He ought to have thought of that. It's just, he was so excited. Deliritus... The Duke's son never let him do anything interesting like create fire. Baz leapt up and hurried over to the dais, where he'd left the small brazier of coals he'd brought with him from the small room in the library's basement he shared with Tax. Careful not to burn his hands, he picked it up and brought it back over to where Tax was sitting. Good, Tax said once he'd returned. Now remember, what's the most important thing for a destroyer to remember? Tax pointed to the destroyer's mark, branded to Baz's forehead. Baz sighed. Would Tax ever let him get around to actually speaking? The stop, Rune, Baz said, rolling his eyes. He jabbed a finger at the symbol in the spoken book that he'd once more propped in his lap. Good, Tax said. And why is it important? (laughs) Baz wasn't going to fall for that trick again. Actually, there's two reasons it's important, Tax. His brother nodded that same smile touching his mouth as before. Go on. First, it locks the reading, tells the book to only cast the spell the one time I speak it. That way, someone can't repeat what I say and cast it again. And second, if something goes wrong, I just have to speak the stop rune, and the power will cease to flow, and I can start over. Tax nodded again. All right, now focus your intent in your mind. The words are vital but reading and speaking must be done with purpose. Careful with your diction, and don't be afraid to speak the stop rune a second time if you feel the words slipping away from you. Better to start over than have to explain a singed mouth to Deliritus, or worse, the Duke. This time, Baz was unable to hide his grimace. That had been a near thing a few weeks prior. He'd been so close to completing the speaking for minor fire, but then he'd slipped over the line's final syllable and... Well, that wouldn't happen again. Taking a deep breath, he focused on the text, then uttered the stop rune and plunged into speaking the sentences that would summon fire and light the candle that Tax had produced from within the folds of his robe. One who has never heard the words of a spoken book uttered might think they have a good idea of what it would sound like. Just like talking, except reciting words from a page, right? Wrong. Each of the three languages of the Trinity are distinct from the common speech, and each is as distinct from the other as water is from flame is from earth. Bass had once heard a conservator compare the language of creation to a doe lapping water from a creek, and the language of influence to the drumming of marching men's steps, steady and inevitable. Destruction, however, wasn't nearly so straightforward. Some of its syllables were like the menacing snort of a bull, others of falcon's high screech, and still others like the refined, sharp edges of a lion's roar. As Baz spoke the words, he could feel their power building. His mouth began to grow warm, the coals in the brazier steaming as if water had been poured upon them, their heat dissipating, though not into the air above the brazier, but into the syllables, then words, then sentences that flowed from Baz's mouth. His lungs began to burn, but he resisted the urge to breathe. Breathing in the middle of a speaking was dangerous. Unless you were absolutely certain of your timing, you'd pay a price. And Baz certainly couldn't afford scorched lungs. Even Tax wouldn't be able to explain that to the Duke. Finally, he gasped out the last syllable, feeling a tang on the roof of his mouth as it didn't leave his tongue quite right. Baz ignored it, instead focusing his will on the wick of the candle in Tax's hand. The air between them glimmered with heat popping beads of sweat onto both their foreheads. The candle burst into flame. Bess sucked in a breath of air, shuddering at the heat of it, but it was just the ordinary warmth of the air that had been heated by his spell, not the burning of a misuttered speaking. He threw both arms into the air. Yes, finally! Well done, Tack said, a broad smile illuminating his eyes. I couldn't have done it better myself. That was a blatant lie. Tax could have spoken the words three times as fast and lit ten candles in the time it had taken Baz to light the one, but that didn't matter. The praise still felt like sunshine on a cloudy day. Let's do another one, Baz said, flipping ahead several pages in the book. Maybe I can try the one that heats metal to orange. I can try it on the brazier. Whoa, hold on, Baz. Let's not get ahead of... The large double doors to the speaking room suddenly swung open. Yeltax, are you in here? They both froze, eyes meeting in horror. Two speakers alone with a spoken book? Father had been killed for less. Slowly, their eyes turned in unison to see who had discovered them. Chapter 2 I say, Yeltax, where are you? Standing at the now open doors was a pair of legs topped by a heaping stack of books, a wide-brimmed hat with a purple feather sticking from the top poked from around the stack's edges. Though his face was blocked, it had to be deliratus Torchsire, first of his name, heir to the Torchsire Library. No one else would, or would be permitted to, walk about the library carrying many fortunes' worth of spoken books in such a haphazard manner. Some would say his status as heir wasn't by choice, but necessity, as he was the Duke's only living child. While Baz continued to gawk, Tax moved into swift action. Muttering a few words, the candle snuffed out. There was no residual smoke, and only the most observant would have noted the slight shake in Tax's hand. There'd be a burn there later, where he transferred the candle's heat. He placed their special bookmark in the spoken book, then slid the tome and candle into the hole exposed by the loose flagstone and set the stone atop it. Just as Tax was nestling the final corner of the flagstone into place, Deliritus's face emerged from behind the stack of books he held, yellow hair half covering his blue eyes. He was thirteen years old, and while he'd begun to grow, he was shorter than average, yet at that awkward stage where clothes didn't fit him no matter what the tailors did pile of books in his hands wobbled. Tax yanked his hand away from the stone, a small corner still poking unevenly from the rest of the floor. "'Tut, tut!' yelled Tax. "'I don't let you keep your eyes for gawking. It's so you can help me in times such as these. Here, take these books. Father will be letting me do this afternoon's reading, and I was practicing. Those hard acts of destruction? The ones that come from the back of your throat? Ah!' get me every time. My tonsils are still sore. Baz had to bite his lower lip to prevent a grin. Deliritus had been reading for years, and still could barely pronounce most words of the Trinity. Tax hurried over to take the books from Deliritus. There was no suggestion of rebellion in him when Deliritus was about. Calm subservience was the only sentiment Tax ever emoted around him. But that was just the way of things. Readers led, and speakers followed, Baz didn't like it, but unlike his brother, didn't see a chance of it changing any time soon, even if young children like himself did learn how to read. "'Don't worry yourself, Master Deliritus,' Tax said. "'The dictions of destruction are too harsh for a man of your generous constitution. I'll understand what you mean when you speak the words to me.' "'Ah, that's better,' Deliritus said, relieved of his burden. He made his way up to the dais. "'Well, I suppose you're right.' It's not as if I'm the one who needs to be perfect after all, yes? It won't be my mouth that burns if I misutter the words. He smiled as if he'd made a joke. When Tex didn't laugh, and instead busied himself steadying the stack of books he'd been handed, Deliritus cleared his throat and smoothed his velveteen tunic, though there were no wrinkles in it. Baz openly glared at Deliritus, partly over his insensitivity, partly because it was plain he still hadn't even noticed that Baz was there. Well... "'Never mind my diction. "'We must go on regardless. "'Come, join me on the dais, "'and we'll prepare before the first of the illits arrive with their supplications. "'I expect Father will have left me "'nothing but common sniffles and broken brooms, "'but a reading is a reading, after all. "'Father said I didn't even need supervision this time, "'and, oh, Bastion, I didn't even see you there.' "'Baz quickly blanked his face and gave a curt bow. "'Tax was afforded certain liberties.' A tolerance for his freely speaking to Deliritus among them, but Baz, along with the vast majority of other speakers, was expected to remain silent unless a question was directed to him or he was actively repeating a reader's words from a spoken book. As often as not, a reader would assume that a speaker who opened his mouth out of turn was attempting to cast a spell, and if a reader believed that, well, speakers were far less expensive to replace than a reader. Hmm, Deliritus said, looking around the room as if there might be some place he could hide Baz. Of course there wasn't. The speaking room was completely unfurnished, save for the shelves, the lectern, and chair on the dais. Just a large open space in which supplicants could wait as the reader listened to their entreaties and granted them as he or she saw fit. Apparently coming to this realization, Deliritus gave a smile that was half a grimace. I suppose you can turn the pages... "'Just don't say anything, all right?' "'My fingers still tingle at the thought of what happened "'the last time I let Yeltax talk me into letting you perform a speaking.' "'Baz's face reddened, and he looked away from Deliritus, "'equal parts shamed and furious. "'The Torchsire air grimaced at the reaction he'd caused. "'I'm sorry,' but Deliritus stopped himself before he finished and coughed loudly. "'Property isn't something to which you apologize,' Baz thought.' still looking away to hide the anger he knew must be showing in his eyes. Well, anyway, Deliritus said, Rox always gets cranky when I make him turn my pages, prefers to be free to watch the supplicants for signs of danger, sworn to protect me, and... Words mean what they mean, and all that nonsense he's always saying. One's nonsense is another's truth, a voice boomed from the hall beyond the speaking room's doors. Deliritus rolled his eyes. Oh, Rox, always so droll. If I understand one thing in ten you say, I counted a grand day. Rox moved into view. He made the tall oaken doors seem small. Shoulders nearly as wide as the entryway, he towered over to by a good two feet, and Teleritus wasn't particularly short. He was dressed all in gray, save for the faded leather jerkin that strained across his massive chest. Even his skin was an ashen color that nearly matched his clothing, causing him to blend into the library's stone walls. Compared to the rest of his body, his head seemed disproportionately small, though that may have just been an illusion caused by the leather mask he wore around his mouth and nose. Narrow slits allowed for breathing and permitted one to just make out the movement of his lips when he spoke. He was entirely bald, though his hairless pate showed several scars, badges of his vocation. Rox was Deliritus's harbor, his sworn protector. Bred and raised solely for the purpose of protecting readers, harbors were regarded as frightening killers, and Rox was no exception, save for one thing. He was a native of Enigma, one of Oration's three cities, and the one that specialized in the third branch of the Trinity, influence. He couldn't read, of course, but it was said all Enigmas had a peculiar way of speaking, "'They could take any sentence and make it mean whatever they wished. "'And not only that, but make you believe that's what you'd meant. "'The Duke had won rocks in a bet with an Enigman traitor shortly after Deliritus had been born, "'and rocks had been his harbor ever since, watching over him since he'd been in the cradle. Milord, came a voice from the hall, somewhere behind rocks. "'Before Baz even realized someone had spoken, rocks spun.' Weapon in hand. A harbor's weapon is like no other. Whereas ordinary men use axes or swords, harbors are trained in the razor. In its compact form, it is a serrated blade, slightly longer than an average man's forearm, with a straight handle along the back, allowing it to be wielded with either one or two hands. At first glance, it doesn't look like much more than a woodsman's saw, but in the hands of a harbor, the weapon can wreak havoc on human flesh in close quarters and if the harbor's target is farther away, a snap of the wrist engages a hinge to one side of the handle, extending the blade out and more than doubling the weapon's reach, exposing a straight, cleaving edge opposite the serrated teeth. Rox used this latter function as he turned, razor extended in one hand, its jagged edge coming to rest at the neck of a slightly hunched woman dressed in a worn and faded dress, though it seemed freshly pressed. She was carrying a basket of chicks, their fuzzy yellow heads poking above the basket's rim. As she flinched away from the harbor, one of them toppled out of the basket and scurried between Rox's legs into the speaking room. Stupid giant, Baz muttered, pouncing on the chick and scooping it up as gently as he could. Rox! liratus snapped. Put that murder stick away! It's just one of the supplicants, though I would like to know who's supposed to be guarding the library's side entrance. You are a bit early, ma'am. Deliritus turned an apologetic smile to the woman, though her wide eyes were still focused solely on Rox, who had folded up his razor and taken a step away from her. It must be the gap in the guard at the lunch hour, Master Deliritus, Tax said. The gap in the... Deliritus slapped a hand to his forehead. Yes, of course. Ever since we caught that fellow stealing the silver last week and cast him out, father's been looking for a replacement, but finances being as they are and... Delirius suddenly appeared to realize that the woman was listening to him. Her eyes were growing even wider than they had when Rox's razor had been at her throat. Deliritus's cheeks reddened noticeably. Oh, don't you worry, good woman. Things were a bit tight there for a while after father's injury, but the money's been coming in again these past few years. I'm sure that... Tex cleared his throat to stop Delirius's rambling. The woman's jaw was at risk of falling from her face onto the floor the lyricist flushed. Well, that explains the missing guard anyway, he muttered. Yeltax, put those books down and draw back one of those curtains. Let's get some light in here. I'm sorry for the trouble, ma'am, and the Torchsire Library's apologies for how cold it is in here, but no fires in the speaking room. Not good for the books, after all. The woman appeared speechless for a moment whether over being directly addressed by the heir of one of erstwhile's nine libraries, or still from the shock of Rox's defensiveness, it was difficult to say. She shook her head, blinking her eyes several times. "'It's all right, my lord, I'm sure. But if I might be so bold, where is the duke? I came for a speaking. My chicks, you see, they're sick, and I need them, the eggs. It's how I make my money.' Baz might have just been imagining things, but Deliritus seemed to draw himself up a little taller. "'I'll be doing the speaking today, good lady, and I see no reason to wait. Why don't we begin?' "'Oh,' said the woman, bending her head to one side as if imagining the duke might be hiding somewhere on the dais behind Deliritus. "'Are you certain, my lord? I could come back another day if—' "'No, no,' Deliritus cut in. "'It's quite all right.' Wouldn't want to inconvenience you. Come, Yeltax, attend me on the dais for the reading. You too, Bastion. If I recall right, the spell we'll need for this woman's chicks spans multiple pages. Killing's a prolonged process, even if it is only killing an illness. Lady, if you just give your offering to Rox there, we'll get started in a moment. The woman opened her mouth, as if she wanted to say more, but shut it again, and handed over a few coins when Rox held out a hand. The harbor's hand wasn't much smaller than the basket she carried, and the woman tossed the coins into it, rather than risk touching him. Baz gave the chick he'd corral the final pet and handed it back to the woman, giving her a look of commiseration. She smiled and took the bird, though her eyes darted away when they landed upon the destruction brand on his forehead. Baz turned away before she could see his scowl, heading for the dais. Delirtus was rummaging in the shelf of spoken books, which he'd unlocked with a large gold key with a glimmering sapphire set in its handle. Now yell, Tex, which book of creation is that healing spell for poultry in? Baz shot his brother a quick look, eyebrow arched. Tex just shook his head. This was what the future of the Torchsire Library depended on. Tex cleared his throat and leaned close to the youth, speaking quietly. Pardon me, Master Deliratus, but if the lady's chicks have an infection, you'll be wanting a book of destruction to kill the disease. That one, I think. Tax pointed to a tome twice the size of the one Bass had been reading prior to Deliritus' arrival. It was bound in red leather with golden letters of destruction etched on its spine. Right, Deliratus said. Just testing you out, old Yeltax. You passed, of course. Baz rolled his eyes at Deliritus' turned back. A grunt that sounded more like the sneeze of a giant boar startled Baz so that he nearly stumbled off the dais. A quick glance over his shoulder revealed rocks towering over him. There was no way the harbor could have seen the derisive expression Baz had given Deliritus. But still, he wiped all condescension from his face. No one made friends with a harbor, but you could certainly lower your chances of a harbor using his razor on you. Insulting the harbor's reader was not such a method. Deliritus removed the tome Tax had indicated and nearly dropped it as he made his way to the lectern. The lady twisted her hands on the basket's handle and looked sidelong toward the door, as if calculating whether she could make it there without Deliritus noticing. "'Right,' Deliritus said, flipping through the book's pages once he'd gotten it settled on the lectern. "'We seem to have used this one a lot lately,' old yelled Tax. "'Ink's starting to fade.' Make note that we'll need to send it to the conservator soon for restoration. Tax glanced at the book. As you command, Master Deliritus, though, if I might be so bold, it appears there's enough elemental ink there for several more readings before the book will lose its power. Deliritus stopped flipping pages for a moment. Baz held his breath. Don't let me catch you looking at a book's words again, yel Tax, Deliritus said, quiet enough that the woman waiting for the reading couldn't hear. A twitch at the edge of Tax's mouth was the only outward admission of error he showed. Of course. My apologies. delirtus began flipping through the book again, and kept flipping. Then began flipping back the other way. Why, good yelled Tax, delirtus said, an edge of frustration replacing the warning that had been in his tone, are there so many words in a book that holds so few spells. This one can have more than a dozen and the longest doesn't have more than but a few pages of reading. Deliritus often complained of this, and Baz knew by now that he didn't expect an answer. A simple spell might require only a single spoken sentence, and even the most complex rarely required more than a few pages of text. But the rest of the book provided guidance on pronunciation and enunciation, detailed history of the spell's origins, and suggested uses. Also, unless one was using a starter, all that elemental ink was needed to provide sufficient fuel to power the spell. all things that Deliritus ought to have been committing to memory rather than complaining over. Here it is, Deliritus finally announced. Well, no need to dally. There'll be other supplicants here soon. Ready? yelled Tax. Tax took a deep breath and nodded. For all that he said against the readers in private, he always took his job of speaking seriously, even if he was a slave. His speakings helped Illitz like the poor woman. Move just a bit closer, yelled Tax. Don't want you straining. Tax's lips thinned. He was only a handful of steps away from Deliritus and the book before him, easily close enough to draw power from the elements imbued in the book's ink. But arguing was pointless, and he shuffled a step closer. Very good, Deliritus said. Now, Bastion, be ready with the page turn. Baz nodded making the incredibly stupid mistake of repeating Tax's earlier error by looking down toward the page Deliritus had stopped on to see the last few words written there. A growl from a wide-eyed Tax was all that saved Baz from a whole lot of explaining, or worse. I say, yelled Tax, are you quite all right? Fine, Master Deliritus, Tax said, taking his eyes from Baz. Just a new exercise to warm up my vocals is all. Hmm, well, I don't like it. "'But do what you must if it helps. "'Let's begin. "'Just hold out those chicks a little closer, my good woman, "'and we'll have them cured in a jiff.' "'Without waiting to see if the woman complied, "'Delirtus stooped over the book like a gargoyle. "'He opened his mouth to begin, but once again Rocks, "'who had moved to stand behind Tax, one hand on his razor, "'cleared his throat like the crash of a wave. "'Yes, yes, Rocks,' Delirtus said, exasperated. "'The stop rune. I don't know what Yeltax could possibly do to me with a spell designed to cure chickens of a runny nose. He ran his finger over the page for a moment before apparently finding the rune and uttering it aloud. There was actually a third use of the stop runes that Baz hadn't given to Tax earlier. The readers used them to ensure that the speaker didn't cast the desired spell, then turn and speak it again, targeted at the reader. It was rare, but not unheard of, for a disgruntled speaker to attack his or her reader in such a manner, which was why Rox had moved to where he had, Any indication that tax intended to turn the spell on Deliritus, or failure to utter the stop rune, and Baz would have a front-row seat to the damage Rox's razor could inflict upon a human body. "'Satisfied, Rox?' deliratus asked. "'Keep you from harm, is the oath I swore,' Rox rumbled in reply." The words mean what they mean. Deliritus shook his head like he'd heard that dozens of times before. Which, of course, he had. In fact, Baz had heard Rox say that dozens of times before. Surely Deliritus had heard it thousands. Good. Then let's start with the words that actually matter. Deliritus began reading in the guttural tones of destruction. His pronunciations were all off. Voice moving like silk over what ought to have been hard consonants, Rolls of the tongue that ought to have been snaps. For a lesser speaker, such incompetence would have been a disaster. But Tax was one of the best speakers in all erstwhile, and he ignored Deliritus' floundering, repeating the words that came stammering out of Deliritus' mouth with perfect diction. Bass followed the movements of his brother's mouth, admiring his skill. Deliritus snapped his fingers, then stopped speaking a moment later. An instant too late... Baz realized that had been the signal to turn the page. He fumbled at the page, but only managed to give himself a paper cut. Delirious, cursed, and Taxi yelped out in pain as Baz felt a rush of power leap from the altar, straight toward where the woman stood with her chicks. Several sickening pops were quickly followed by a scream. Baz looked up in time to see the lady trip over backward and fall to the speaking room's stone floor, some of the splattered remains of her chicks staining her dress face, and, Baz noted with particular chagrin, her hair. "'Bastion, you!' Delirtus half-raised a hand to strike him, then appeared to reconsider and instead just shook his head in disgust. Rocks, get over there and help her. I'm sorry, good woman, but these things do happen. I'll see you receive recompense from the treasury for this mishap.' The woman looked horrified at the prospect of delirtus giving her any more help, She managed to get herself up before Rox reached her and ran from the speaking room without a backward glance. She left the ruined basket behind on the floor. On the floor? Right next to a displaced flagstone she must have tripped over during her fall. Rox bent over the exposed hole. What's this? He boomed. Leaning over and coming up with the book Tax had placed there, the book from which Baz had been reading right before Deliritus had entered, "'Why, that's the missing book of destruction. "'Burning, take me. "'Father had three servants executed "'because he suspected they'd taken it, "'and it's been here the whole time.' "'Hmm,' Rox rumbled. "'That's not all.' "'The foreboding tone of the harbor's voice "'sent waves through Baz's already roiling stomach. "'He looked to his brother, "'but Tax was standing rail-straight "'and staring straight ahead. "'There's this.' Rox plucked the bookmark from the book and handed it to Deliritus. It was a thin strip of leather, perhaps two fingers wide and about as long as a book was tall. The symbols of each of the three branches of the Trinity were burned into it with dark brands. The trees of the Creator, Liamina Fortune, the dragons of the Destroyer, Hellfax Erstwhile, and the scales of the Enigma, Pront v. Lexdor. The same three symbols were branded on Taxa's forehead, marking him a try. Why, Deliritus said, turning the bookmark over in his hands, this is... His eyes widened as they darted over to Tax. He took a step back. This is your father's marker, yelled Tax. I remember my own father gave it to you after your father's, er, retirement. It was you who took the book? Baz opened his mouth to cry a defense of his brother but the sudden blaze in Tax's eyes snapped Baz's mouth shut. Deliritus looked away from Tax, continuing to turn the bookmark over and over in his hands, as if it would give him some answer. "'You've been reading, haven't you? Father warned me you might be too smart for your own good, but I told him you'd never do such a thing. Shows how much I know.' "'Master Deliritus,' Tax said, voice unbelievably calm. I'm not sure how that book got there, but I assure you, he wasn't going to hurt anyone, Baz blurted, certain that saying something would be helpful. Tax's mouth hung open mid-word for several seconds, then slowly closed. Deliratuses stayed open for much longer. The sad smile Tax gave Baz would be imprinted in Baz's mind for the rest of his life. Silence stretched for some time. Baz yearned for his brother to say something smart that would cancel this whole thing out, show it for some great misunderstanding. It had been Baz who'd suggested using Father's marker in the book. Let's put it to its intended purpose, he'd told Tax. Tax hadn't wanted to initially, but finally he'd agreed after seeing how happy it made Baz. Now look where that stupid sentiment had gotten them. Well, Deliratist finally said, voice a whisper. Hard and sad all at once. There's only one thing we can do to accuss Rocks. Kill him. No! Baz cried, turning on Deliritus. No! I won't let you! Baz, stop! Tax said. Don't make this even harder than it's already going to be. Come, Rocks, Deliritus said with an urgency in his tone, as if this were somehow hurting him. Get on with it! Baz's eyes darted to Rocks as if the massive man could hold any hope for him. But the giant actually seemed to be hesitating. "'A threat to you he is not,' Rox said. "'Not a threat!' Delirta's voice came out a shrill whine. "'A cuss could lay waste to this library, Rox. And if the other libraries here we let one go unpunished, Torch Sire would be no more. Every library in the Triumvirate would send assassins in a matter of days.' How safe do you think I'd be then? Rox turned his head to one side as if considering, then exhaled in what might have been a sigh. I hear truth. The words mean what they mean. He began to walk toward Tax. Keep breathing, Baz, Tax said, standing tall in the harbor shadow. Keep surviving. Baz never forgot the sound of his brother's screams. Welcome back to DT Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Today is January twenty second, twenty twenty two, as I record this. I uh, hope you enjoyed those two chapters there we just read. Got some great listener questions to go over as well. So uh, why don't we why don't we hop right in here? A uh, quick personal update before we jump into our analysis of chapters one and two of the Actus Trials. Uh, by the time this episode airs, the Actus Trials, uh, which is the novel we're reading right now. Uh, will be available for purchase at most online retailers where you find books, both as an e-book and as a physical copy. So if you can't wait for the next uh, 20 or so episodes and you need to find out what happens right now, uh, you can go pick yourself up a copy. Or if you just want to uh, have your own copy to, to read along with a podcast, uh, you can do that as well. Um, got a couple current projects in the hopper right now as well. Part two of the Spoken Books Uprising uh, is currently with my editor, I expect that to release uh, probably around the end of April, maybe mid-April. We'll have to to see. I'll keep you updated on that uh, as I go through there, because once I get my edits back from the editor, I have to obviously go through and review all of them, which does take a little time. Uh, I've also just finished my first round of personal edits on Part 3 of the Spoken Books Uprising, so I've got two completed manuscripts uh, hanging around right now. Uh from there, my process is uh, to print out uh, the manuscript and edit it by hand. So I do a round of edits on the computer after my first draft, and then after that, I print it out and go over it with, with pen, and then enter all of those back into the computer. And then once I'm done with that, uh, part three will go to my editor as well. And right now, my schedule, looking to release the third part around June 1st, so start of the summer. So you'll have uh, you'll have three books <laughs> to read by the middle of the year. Um, for those of those for those of you who are interested, uh, part two is called Declaimer, "Declaimers' Discovery," and part three is "Declaimers' Flight." And just for full disclosure, for those of you who are completionists out there, part three is not the final part. Um, I've actually got this sketched out right now to span uh, probably about 12 books. I've got 12 stories that I know I need to tell. I don't know if uh, it's going to be 12 books or if a couple of those stories might merge into one book, but lots more books to come. Uh, I do try to tell a complete story uh, in each book, but the broader arc of the whole series definitely goes past part three, so uh, lots to stay tuned for, and we'll be reading uh each of those books together uh in order once we complete the actus trials here. Uh okay, so uh enough about me and what I'm doing. Let's uh, hop into uh our discussion of chapters 1 and 2 of the actus trials. Uh and of course, uh if you have any suggestions for I can structure our discussions differently in future weeks, uh definitely send them to me. I am open. This is podcast episode number 2. <laughs> so uh Still a bit of a rookie here, so I'm uh, happy for any suggestions that uh, you think might improve the, the listening experience here. Uh, dtkane at dtkane.com. You can send your suggestions uh, there. Uh, all right, so uh, last week I told you to specifically keep an eye on what the older brother, who is uh, Yeltax, or Tax for short, is teaching his younger brother, uh, Bastian, uh, or Baz for short. Uh, now, right off the bat, we have a rather odd admonition, right? Reading books can get you killed. Uh, I know this technically isn't the first line of the book since we had a prologue, but it's the first line of chapter one, so it's sort of the first line of the book, right? Uh, I try not to put too much stock in opening lines, but many folks are so obsessed with that flashing that flashy first sentence. It's uh, you know, it's hard for me to completely disregard it. Uh, I like to think this one's pretty provocative, right? Reading books can get you killed. I I slapped it on the back cover of the physical copy as well. Uh, I also like how it kind of speaks to the whole high-level concept of the novel and really the whole series, too. And that uh, interesting point here, that actually gets to a a reader question I have here. Uh, So why don't we go over that now? Uh, Linda from New York writes, DT, what was your inspiration for the Spoken Books Uprising? Well, thanks for the question, uh, Linda. Um, this is uh, this is a fun one. Uh, my original inspiration uh, for the series was, was this idea, you know, what if reading books was a superpower, you know? <laughs> uh, that's kind of cool. I, I like reading. It'd be cool if I was a, uh, you know, if I was considered to have special powers because I could read. And, and that's kind of what I've done here uh, at a high level. You know, obviously this isn't a superhero book, Uh, but basically in this world, if you can read, you are a badass, right? It's the only way to cast magic. Um, you know, and like I said, as a lifelong reader and generally, uh, one who obsesses over books, you know, that's pretty cool. (laughs) Most people think you're a nerd if you like reading, but not here in the land of oration. You are the coolest kid in school uh, if you can read. Uh, now of course, as neat as that concept is, I couldn't just leave it at that, uh, need some complications we can't just have a story about a universe where uh, reading is a superpower Uh, you know stories are ultimately about complications right let's uh, let's take some characters and throw a bunch of obstacles between them and what they want you know that's uh, that's how we keep things interesting so I thought you know uh, how could I twist this idea of reading as a superpower uh, into something you know more interesting and more complicated you know so my first level was you know what if only certain people can unlock the power of the magic books? Okay. All right. That's going somewhere. So, you, you know, that kind of creates this potential for an upper class of folks who can read, while all the normal people can't cast magic. Uh, good. Good. There's some beginnings there, but lots of stories with magic are like that, right? Not everyone can cast it. So, another layer on top of that. Not everyone can cast magic from the books, and those who can are enslaved and never taught to read. All right, <laughs> now now maybe we have a little more something something uh, there. You know, you can see a whole culture forming around that single idea, and it also evokes some pretty strong emotions. I think, you know, these people are born with such an awesome power, but they're downtrodden and never given a chance to exercise it. You know, I you know, there is a story in there. Uh, at least, obviously, I think so because I've written three books about it already. <laughs> um, right, and like I said, uh, you know as many as a dozen books based on this single idea. So, right, reading can get you killed. Yeltex establishes this for us in in the very first sentence, Uh, and as I just said, there's there's a whole lot packed in there about the whole series in that one sentence. Uh, We quickly learn he's not exaggerating, right? Because he tells us, you know, just a few paragraphs in that uh, his father was killed by the readers, not even because he could read, but simply because they thought he might be learning the basics of grammar. Uh, you know, just the risk of him maybe learning to read one day was enough to get him killed. You know, so the readers who are the ruling class in this society really don't want people like Yeltax and his father learning to read. Uh, We get some more details as to why this is the case later, but since reading equals power, uh, obviously the readers want to keep that power away from their slaves. And yet, we quickly realize that despite that, how dangerous apparently reading is, Tax is teaching his little brother to read. You know, obviously he's not doing this lightly because he makes the point of reminding Baz that he promised their father to look out for Baz, yet he's still submitting him to this danger. You know, there's, there seems to be a bit of a rebel in Tax, right? What does he say? Uh, quote right from the text here. Someone ought to be able to stand up to them. So he's teaching his brother to read uh, in hopes that one day he might stand up to the readers. Uh, another interesting point here in, in the opening pages and paragraphs, and this is an example of something I'll always try to point out, bits of text that might not be obviously important when you first read them, but that'll become so over the course of the book. The text tells Baz that a man always keeps his promises. That's what sets us apart from the readers, Baz. We keep our word. Don't forget that heavy (laughs) you know we uh we see the deep distrust tax has for the readers here and i guess you can't blame him since they killed his dad uh you know not even for committing a crime but just the possibility that he might commit one in the future we also see the value that tax puts on keeping his word you're as bad as the readers if you don't do that you know even to a young boy like uh his little brother baz here that's got to make some some impact you would think right you know, it looks like tax is probably the only you know father figure Baz has got. So, you know, as uh, uh, sarcastic as as Baz can be here uh, at times, you got to think there's some uh, some influence that that's going to have on him. So remember that sentiment, and it's going to echo across parts of the rest of the book. We'll keep uh, we'll keep coming back to that. Uh, okay, so after those kind of opening pages where we go over. Uh, you know, what happened to Baz and Tex's father. Next kind of major piece of information we come to are, we have three types of speakers. We've got destroyers, creators, and influencers. Uh, Baz is a destroyer, and we know that because uh, he's got a dragon branded on his forehead, which is uh, the symbol of of all the destroyer speakers. Uh, You know, and that also gives you a bit more of an idea of how the readers treat their slaves, right? You know, they're marking them. Uh, like cattle, you know, they're really, you know, obviously if they're slaves, they're not being treated well to begin with, but, you know, they're they're really not treating them much better than animals, it seems like. Um, we also learn here that Tax is uh, what's called a tri, which means he is all three types of speakers in one, and this is apparently very rare, so he enjoys some special privileges that other slaves don't. Uh, for instance, free time during the middle of the day to spend with his brother, you know, and think... Obviously, it doesn't come right out and say this, but, you know, certainly shows, uh, you know, how, how much he cares for Baz, right? You know, he's using his work breaks to chill with little bro and teach him, right, instead of uh, resting or, uh, you know, doing something else to relax. Um, you know, other than that, we don't learn a ton about the distinctions between the three types of speakers yet. Uh, and, you know, for these opening chapters, you don't really need to. We'll learn more about them later. But we do get uh, a couple analogies. Uh, that Baz offers for each of them. Um, and, you know, I'll just reread those to you to, to give you an idea. I think you can, you can probably tell from the names and then these analogies here, you know, the general idea of what each of these types of magic do. But, uh, but he, here's what Baz said. Baz had once heard a conservator compare the language of creation to a doe lapping water from a creek and the language of influence to the drumming of marching men's steps. Steady and inevitable. Destruction, however, wasn't nearly so straightforward. Some of its syllables were like the menacing snort of a bull, others, a falcon's high screech, and still others, like the refined, sharp edges of a lion's roar. The Three Types of Speakers. Uh, And while we don't get any more detail about the three types of speakers, we do learn that there are dangers associated with reading spells from spoken books. Uh, Tex and Baz are in what's called a, uh, speaking room, right? And it's, uh, built so that it's away from the rest of the building. Apparently that's done because, uh, as Baz tells us, speakings can go terribly wrong. While that's rare, we learn that a reading room of one of the other libraries in the city was recently destroyed by a spell gone wrong, and apparently speakers can also be injured by misspoken spells. Baz speaks of having burned the inside of his mouth the last time he tried to speak a spell. And he also mentions the possibility of scorched lungs, which sounds worse than burning the inside of your mouth to me. Uh, So reading is both illegal for speakers, and it also carries physical risks uh, if you don't know what you're doing. Another interesting tidbit uh, that'll be relevant here throughout the novel, Torchsire Library, uh, which is where we are during this scene. It's the library that Baz and Tex belong to. Uh, has one shelf of books in its library, and that shelf is only half full. Uh, so they don't have too many books, right? Just one shelf, and it's not even full. Uh, but we learn that this, that while this makes uh, Torchshire Library one of the city's smaller libraries, uh, that few books is still considered a grand fortune. Uh, so we can glean from that that there's certainly a premium on premium on books in this world, right? Uh, there aren't a lot of them, and the ones that do exist hold power that can cast magic. Uh, so, you know, again here you see how that single concept of a world where magic comes only from books, it, it's quickly creating lots of rules uh, for, for the culture here. Naturally, books are going to be extremely valuable uh, in this society. Uh, all right. So, you know, those are the major things we learned in this chapter, uh, up until the end when, uh, Tex and Baz, uh, finally get around to, you know, letting Baz actually do the reading that, uh, Baz has eagerly been waiting for, uh, for the whole chapter. Um, one, one thing additionally we do learn, we, we learned about these, uh, the stop runes, right, at the, uh, towards the end of the chapter you know baz is baz is being impatient he's rolling his eyes at his overprotective brother uh eager to set something on fire like uh i'm sure uh a lot of you were when you were kids fire was really cool right you know lots of us probably think it's still really cool uh you know he finally gets to do his speaking but only after we learned about the stop runes you know these are sort of like the safety on a gun right before you read a spell, you read the stop rune, and it prevents someone from repeating the same spell and, and, and using it against you, right? Um, you know, this was a concept I kind of came up with after starting drafting, because, you know, I was, I was writing this for a while, and I was like, well, geez, like, if you're in a fight with, with spoken books, right, and, you know, you read a spell out of it, well, someone's going to hear that. Why can't they just repeat it and and use it right back at you? It'd be like like if you fired a gun at someone, they'd be able to, like, fire the bullet back at you. Um, So I had to come up with some way to, you know, have some sort of protection against that, and that's what the stop runes do here. Uh, We also learned you can use them as a sort of a mulligan, right? They have more than one purpose. You know, you speak the stop rune, and none of the ill effects of misreading a spell will occur. Uh, at, well, I guess I should say, you speak it again, right? So you speak it at the beginning to prevent anyone uh, from rereading your spell and casting it against you. But if you're in the middle of the spell uh, and you mess up, uh, you can read the stop rune again, and then that apparently stops the spell. Uh, and that's good, right? So there's a way around blowing up the room if you screw up. So I guess that explains, too, why, well, it's possible for these spells to go terribly wrong, um, You know, they don't that often because you can just read the stop rune um still even with that you can get a sense of some of baz's anxiety right as he begins to read he's failed and burned his mouth mouth at least once uh so even what's apparently a rather simple spell still carries consequences of failure right he's he's just trying to light a candle here but you can still hurt yourself even even doing that um but that's at least from you know for baz that's not a good thing right but for us that's good you know you want a magic system that has costs and drawbacks. You know, if you can just snap your fingers and cast whatever magic you want, you're in some pretty, you know, you're in for some pretty overpowered uh, characters. And those are, you know, those can be fun to read for a while, but, you know, often some of the most interesting things you're going to get in fantasy books are, you know, what the magic cannot do, right, instead of instead of what it can do. You know, you can only read about blowing down doors with, with fireballs and, you know, blowing people up with lightning from the sky for so long before it gets a little, a little boring. Right, so uh, Bass successfully lights his candle, right? He gets through, he gets through the speaking, uh, and he is very excited, right? He, he immediately wants to go on and, and read another spell. Um, but, but before we get there, uh, you know, the door to the room swings open, and uh, suddenly all these dire warnings from the beginning of the chapter become extremely relevant, right? You know, their father was killed for just suggesting he might learn to read one day. And here Tax and Baz are with a stolen book. Uh, Tax is apparently able to read it well enough to teach his brother. And Bass has just read a spell from it. So they're doing a whole bunch of things here they, they shouldn't be doing. Um, and, you know, we've seen the penalty for this is probably getting executed. Uh, so they're in some serious trouble here uh, with whoever just opened that door. Um, but thankfully... We move right along to Chapter Two here, so uh, you don't be, you aren't left hanging. Uh, so let's move on to uh, our analysis of Chapter Two. All right, Chapter Two. Um, this episode is uh, running longer than I think the typical one uh, will go, but I I really wanted to get through Part One of the book today, which is just Chapters One and Two, because it's really just one long sequence that sets up a lot of stuff. So uh, let's keep barreling on here uh so the door to the reading room uh or speaking room actually typed reading room here i'll have to fix that uh so the speaking room door uh opens and we collectively hold our breaths right as we turn the page but it's uh essentially a false alarm right Uh, a guy who comes in can't see that tax and Baz have a spoken book with them because he's got this huge stack of books covering his face Uh, Tex quickly hides the book beneath a loose stone in the floor, and crisis averted, uh, at least for now, (laughs) anyway. Uh, So, now we meet Deliritus, the youth behind the stack of books. You might not be able to tell uh, here, but I like Deliritus. Uh, He's certainly one to watch if you buckle in for the long haul uh, on this podcast and uh, the Spoken Books Uprising series though I'll admit in this chapter we're sort of scrambling to find redeeming characteristics in him, right? Flamboyant and cavalier. maybe a couple adjectives that uh, <laughs> that come to mind to describe him here. I mean, let's let's start with his outfit, right? A velveteen tunic. Uh, you know, geez, that that sounds just that word sounds too fancy, right? and uh, he's he's wearing this giant hat with a purple feather sticking from it. You know, think like a musketeer hat here, large and in charge. You know, and it's probably too big for him, right? You know, I, I don't say that in the text, but I do tell you he's 13 years old and an awkward 13 at that. You know, below average height, but he's outgrowing his clothes so they never seem to fit. You know, maybe we've got a bit of a walking around in dad's uh, shoes type image going on here with Deliritus. You know, that's... It's trying to what? Yeah, uh, you know, what I was hoping to get across to you here. Yeah, you, know, uh, you know, drop me a line if uh, if you think I could have done that better. Uh, you know, so we, we get the sense too that he's a bit entitled, maybe more than a bit entitled, right? You know, he's he's heir by default rather than really merit. Bez uh, makes no secret of noting that, and uh, you know, he's his father's only child. Uh, Baz makes a point to say how ridiculous it is, Deliridus walking around with a stack of spoken books, you know, this is sort of like uh, our world's equivalent of strolling around with a Ming vase under each arm, right? Just extremely, extremely reckless, you know, just, you're walking around with, with your with your house's fortune, just, uh, you know, carelessly carrying it around. You know, then he hoping, <laughs> then Deliridus opens his mouth, right? And, uh, you know, our opinion of him is not getting any better. You know, geez, in the first two pages, right? You know, we meet him. He makes these two awful, insensitive jokes. You know, there's the one out uh, letting Yeltax keep his eyes. You know, what's that about? You know, the implication there is that not all speakers get to keep their eyes, right? I mean, I, I guess that makes sense in a chilling sort of way, right? You know, they don't need to see; they just got to be able to talk and hear, right? So, you know, they're not supposed to be able to read, even though that we I mean, know tax can. So. You know do we have blind speakers walking around? you know maybe you know maybe some of the readers do that to their slaves just to make sure they n- really can never learn to read. I don't know we'll have to we'll have to see where that goes um you know, and then just a few paragraphs later, uh you know the just makes his other joke about how it won't be it won't be his mouth that burns if he mispronounces a word it's it's Yeltex who uh if he ultimate if he mispronounces a spell. Uh, he suffers. He suffers the consequences. You know, at least, at least he's got shame enough to realize that that one fell on deaf ears. Right? You know, he clears his throat and smooths out his uh, unwrinkled tunic when no one laughs. But still, we're obviously, you know, left with the image of a self-centered, entitled youth here for for Deliritus. You know, and. Uh, I guess I will add here, despite Deliritus' privileged status, we do also get a sense of how comparatively privileged jail tax might be, at least compared to Baz uh, and most of the rest of the speakers in this world. Uh, they're both slaves, right? But we see Deliritus immediately addressing tax, whereas he doesn't even seem to realize Baz is present for quite a while. And when he finally does notice him, uh, you know, what do I say here? <laughs> Delirtus looks around the room as if there might be some place he could hide Baz. You know, he doesn't even want Baz to be there. You know, we get this sense that Baz's experience is definitely a lot closer to the norm for speakers. Uh, we, we read in the text, quote, you know, Baz, along with the vast majority of other speakers, was expected to remain silent unless a question was directed to him or he was actively repeating a reader's words from a spoken book. You know, and actually Baz drops an interesting uh, bit of info here right after that. You know, quote, as often as not, a reader would assume that a speaker who opened his mouth out of turn was attempting to cast a spell. And if a reader believed that, well, speakers were far less expensive to replace than a reader. You know, in case you were wondering what's to stop speakers from turning on their masters by repeating a spell, well, we've got the stop rune. We already read about that in the previous chapter. Remember, that's the safety on the gun. We've also got this sort of startling cultural reality where you know just by talking a speaker is risking death right um that's a pretty good way to keep yourself safe if you're a reader if your speakers are frightened to talk at all, then you know you got much less worry about them speaking spells that might harm you right <clears throat> right uh so that's deliritus um our introduction to him, and then we've got uh you know. Our other big introduction to the chapter, right, and you know the pun puns intended there. Rox is a uh, huge dude, right? He walks, uh, he walks through the door. He makes those oak doors seem small. You know, we're talking about big double doors leading into the speaking room, and, and he makes them look small. Uh, we read he's two feet taller than Deliratus, and while we said uh, earlier Deliratus is below average in height, you know, Baz also makes the point he's not he's not particularly short. You know, Deliratus is no midget, and he's thirteen. So, what, that makes him probably, he's got to be over five feet tall, right? So, and Rox is two feet taller than that. So we're talking like a Shaquille O'Neal-sized guy here, at least. Uh, you know, or, you know, maybe uh, the mountain from Game of Thrones, uh, perhaps. So let's, let's bring this back to fantasy here. Uh, uh, he's bald, sort of grayish skin. Uh, you know when we see Darth Vader take his helmet off at the end of Return of the Jedi? That's sort of what I picture when I think of Rox. This very uh, pale, pasty, you know, bald guy. You know, except obviously Rox is in is in good health, whereas uh, Darth Vader was dying there at the end of Return of the Jedi. Um, and then he's got this Hannibal Lecter-type face mask, too. Uh, so this is a creepy-looking guy. He is a scarred, bald man with gray skin, wearing essentially a leather muzzle over his nose and mouth. <laughs> you, you know, certainly the image of someone you probably don't want to be in the same room with. Then almost immediately after we meet him, you know, he kind of proves he's maybe not someone you want to be around. You know, this little old lady startles him nearly chops her head off, right? Now, I guess we could make the argument at this point he's just overprotective of Deliritus, right? Uh, rather than just a bloodthirsty killer. He does not actually kill the woman. You know, he just... Uh, he just uh, jumps, <laughs> jumps it. But maybe he perceived it as a threat. I, I don't know. You know, it's it's like I said, it's not entirely clear. Uh, you know, and we do learn to Rox's credit here. He's sworn an oath to protect Deliritus, and he seems particularly obsessed with the meaning of words. The words mean what they mean. You know, Rox repeats this, I think, at least twice in in this opening, uh, or well, in this chapter two, and he's going to say that again and again. That's his catchphrase here. Um, you know, you know, but even if he does take his oath pretty seriously, we're not getting warm and fuzzies about him at this point. And his weapon is not, uh, making you want up to cuddle or his weapon. That's not making you want to cuddle with him either. Right. You know, I, I don't know how well my description does it for you. I, I think it's all right, but you know, to put it in kind of, you know, simpler terms here, let's, you know, picture an old fashioned straight razor, right? The one that folds, uh, into its handle like a pocket knife, so, you know, picture that in your mind, except this thing is several feet long. Uh, the back of it the back of it looks like a saw instead of just, you know, like the flat part you would use to fold up the razor. Uh, and then you can snap it open, right? So think just like, you know, you flick your wrist and, and this thing extends to like twice its length. Uh, and then he's got this slashing style type weapon. So it's jagged on one side and like a cleaver uh, on the other side. You know, he is ready to fight Freddy Krueger with this thing. You know, this <laughs> You do not want to see rocks coming down the hall late at night, uh, holding his razor. Uh, and we were just talking about things that are keeping speakers from attacking their readers. So, well, here's a you know, here's another safety for the readers, right? You know, if every reader has a giant protector like rocks, and we're gonna learn that they all do, though they're not all as uh, not all as giant as rocks is, um, but you know, speakers are gonna think twice about attacking their reader if if they've got a dude like rocks uh, watching out for them. Right, uh so we learn it's Delirius's job uh to see to Torchsire Library's supplicants this day. Apparently this is a frequent ritual and uh one that makes the library money. Poor people come to the library to ask the readers to use their magic to cure various problems. And Torchsire needs this apparently, right? You know, we've got this uh you know funny for us, embarrassing for deliritus exchange where he basically admits in front of this old woman that Torchsire Library doesn't even have enough money to pay a full rotation of guards. Uh, something about money being tight since an injury to Delirtus' father. You know, no, no more info about that here for now, but let's keep that in mind going forward. Um, and, uh, you know, we do get the sense of Delirtus being a bit of a bumbling incompetent, right? You know, Baz certainly seems to think that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he doesn't, Deliratus doesn't really seem to know how to act like a noble, even though he is one. You know, even the old woman doesn't seem to have much confidence in him, right? She tries more than once to sort of uh, back out of having Deliratus read the spell. Once, uh, once she learns Deliratus' father isn't coming. Obviously, the implication here is Deliratus' father is pretty well regarded as a reader, while Deliratus certainly is not. And you know, you can you can see how that makes sense here, right? This lady is coming, you know, hoping to get her her. Her baby chicks healed, right? And uh, you know, the Duke's thirteen-year-old son shows up, shows up instead of you know the the most powerful man in the library. Uh, and this seems to be, you know, she seems to be right. Yeah, yeah. He, <laughs> Delir just doesn't even seem to know what type of uh, spell he needs to read to to help the chickens out. You know, Baz's brother has to ultimately point him in the right direction. Delir discovers with this lame excuse that he was just giving Eltex a test, right? But. Obviously, he, you know, he was just clueless, and, and, you know, someone who is, you know, the slave had to clue him in. But finally, we do get the the right book up on the podium. Uh, DeLier just makes this offhand comment about the ink in it being faded and uh, needing to send it to the conservators for restoration. Uh, Tax responds to that, that there appears to be enough elemental ink left in the book for at least several more readings before the book will lose its power. Uh, So this is kind of just a brief exchange here, but... You know, two kind of really important things about the world are revealed. Uh, First, kind of the implied point here: spoken books apparently wear out over time; Uh, their ink fades with each reading. Uh, But apparently, even though they they wear out, they can be restored. And there's apparently a whole group uh, who are called the conservators uh, that do that. You know, again, coming back to all these interesting things that go straight from the novel's basic concept. So, in a world where books hold power keeping your books in good order is going to be, you know, it's going to be important, right? You know, if you don't have books, you don't have power. So it makes sense that there would be a profession that's kind of sprung up that restores books and, and, you know, keeps them, keeps them working and, you know, as fresh as they can be. You know, so, uh, if I was a betting man, and maybe a little bit of a spoiler here, I would say those restorers likely hold some power in oration. But, uh, We'll have to wait and see for that uh, until next week. We'll see these conservators uh, in a bit more action in Chapter 3. Uh, and the more explicit thing that comes from this exchange between Delirtus and Tax is that Tax makes a pretty serious mistake here, right? He lets slip that he was looking at the text of Delirtus' book. You know, and even, even here, you know, Delirtus, you know, entitled, cavalier, you know, Slightly incompetent, you know. Even he gets dangerously quiet at this, uh, threatening tax never to do that again. You know, the, the moment the moment's gone like that, right? We you know immediately immediately go back to the delirious we've seen for the rest of the scene. Uh, but you certainly get the sense from his quick shift out of his yappy incompetence. Uh, you know just how dire it is of a speaker doing something that even suggests he has an interest in books. Uh, you know, remember that, again. We keep coming back to this, but, you know, we learn in Chapter 1, Baz's father was killed just for suggesting he might be learning how to read. Not that he could read, just that he might be beginning to grasp the basics of grammar. So, uh, you know, text gets away with that here, but, uh, you know, it just drives home how how dangerous it is for someone in text or Baz's position to know how to read a book. Uh, one other interesting thing to note here, I think, is, you know, while inwardly criticizing Deliritus uh, for his dismay over how long the spoken books tend to be, you know, and if you're having trouble picturing them, you know, let me let me back up there for a minute. So, if you're having trouble, trouble picturing what these books like, you know, we're talking like, you know, books the size of, like, a Bible that a priest might read at Mass. You know, these things are not transport-friendly. <laughs> you know, Baz notes that, uh, Uh, One reason for their size is that all the elemental ink in them is needed to serve as sort of a fuel to power the spells that are being read. Uh, So, some more interesting insight into the magic system here. You know, we've learned the elemental ink fades over time uh, as you read from the books again and again. And now we see that the reason for that fading is because the person who is casting the spell from the book is actually drawing power right out of the ink in the books. Um... And this maybe explains something else you might have been wondering. You can't just memorize the spell and then go about casting magic without the book, right? You know, you need the words of the spell, but you also need the fuel of the spell's ink to cast the magic. So uh, a further limitation here. It's not just like, you know, you memorize the book and go on your merry way. You got to have the book with you. It's like the, you know, it's like the power cell or with our gun analogy, earlier, it's like the the ammunition. You, You need the book. It's not just about the words. Um, all right, so we finally get to see our first uh, reading, uh, where, you know, the reader is reading the spell, and then the speaker is uh, repeating it. So just to set the stage, we've got Delirius up at his podium, Baz is beside him, turning the pages, and Texas is off to the side with Rock standing behind him, keeping watch for any signs of betrayal. And of course, <laughs> we have this poor old woman looking on who just wants her little chicks healed and doesn't really want Delirius to be the one healing them. Uh, Deliritus starts his reading, Baz, of course, immediately hypercritical of him as he has been for the whole chapter, uh, if you hadn't gotten it by now, uh, you probably haven't been paying attention, but Baz does not like Delirtus much, and that's not gonna get, that's not gonna change, right, <laughs> after what happens here in a few moments, uh, but for now, we see that Deliritus isn't too good at reading, right, so Baz's criticism seems to be warranted. Uh, but despite how bad Deliritus is, Tex is so skilled that he can still repeat the spells properly, uh, even though Deliritus' pronunciation is really bad. Um, you know that is you know Tex is able to to repeat the spells fine until Baz loses his focus and doesn't turn the page. Right, you know Deliritus tries to get his attention, snapping his fingers at him, but it's too late. That smell the spell fizzles. Tex yelps out in pain. Uh, presumably because the, the spell has failed and has burned him. And the poor chicks, I'm sorry for all the animal lovers out there, but we lose them. they you know, big bloody mess. You know, remember we've already established misread spells can have dire consequences, and here we see one. You know, we were casting this spell to kill the virus inside the chicks, and instead uh, the spell has been misread, and it killed the chicks uh, themselves. Our poor old lady here trips to the floor, then goes rushing from the room... <laughs> Uh, Her fears uh, of Deliritus's incompetence uh, having proven uh, completely true, apparently, at least in her eyes. Um, And interestingly here, you know, uh, while we see Deliritus is obviously furious with Baz for messing up the spell, he restrains himself from hitting Baz. Now, obviously, uh, in our world, this would be no great feat. You know, you're not supposed to go around hitting people when you get mad, but in the world of, uh, you know, a master-slave relationship, this does seem like a bit of unexpected restraint, right? You know, some maybe Deliritus isn't quite as bad as he seems. You know, we already got this implication that maybe some readers purposefully blind uh, their speakers, and Deliritus seems uh, hesitant to even hit hit one of his. So, uh, you know, or maybe, you know, maybe Deliritus just didn't want to hurt his hand, you know. I don't know. We'd, we haven't had a whole lot of reason yet to give Delirtus any benefit of the doubt, so uh, we'll have to wait and see. We'll be seeing plenty more of Deliritus uh, in the chapters to come. Um, of course, the woman's fall and quick exit reveal something horrifying for tax and Baz. That stone in the floor where they've hidden their book, it comes loose and Rox sees it. Now, maybe they could explain it away, except for, oh, the bookmark. You know, I think we mentioned the bookmark very briefly, just kind of offhand threw it in there earlier. But apparently this is a bookmark that used to belong to to Tax and Baz's father, and Deliritus recognizes it, which means uh, even he is able to put together that uh, Tax or Baz must be the one who put the book there. Uh, You know, Tax displays kind of remarkable composure here, right? But Baz, oh, he just can't help himself. You know, he's, he's still a little kid. He just wants his brother to be okay, so he blurts out the Tax uh, never meant to hurt anyone, uh, which, of course, uh, has the exact opposite effect of what Baz wants because that proves that Tax is indeed the one who stole the book. Um, of course, Baz meant well here, but he has inadvertently sealed his brother's fate now, right? And uh, we also learned that it was Baz's idea to use their father's bookmark, right? So uh, we've got the failed page turn. Uh, Baz inadvertently revealing his brother stole the book, and also the bookmark that gave them away. Uh, so Baz, the kind of the reasons for feeling guilty here, are pa- piling on to Baz here rather quickly. <coughs> um, and we all know what happens now, right? You you know you just listened, to, <laughs> you just listened to it. Deliritus orders rocks to kill tax. Now, interesting. Did you know? Did you catch that rocks display some hesitance here? You know he. As we went over uh, in detail a few minutes ago, Rox certainly looks like he's a bloodthirsty monster, but he doesn't just jump at the opportunity to kill Tax. Uh, in fact, he makes a point to reference uh, back his oath. You know, Tax is not posing a threat to delirtus right now, so why should Brox kill him? You know, of course, Delirtis retorts that Tax's very existence is a speaker who can also read, uh, which we learn uh, is called a cuss uh, in this world. So a speaker who also learns to read, they're a cuss. Uh, what Deliritus? Uh, let's see his exact words. He could lay waste to this library. Deliritus tells us, and he also says it's illegal for a library to permit, to permit a cuss to live, uh, or at least to go unpunished. So maybe a you know little unclear if killing is abso- a- absolutely necessary, but you certainly have to punish them. Um, and the the other libraries would send assassins if if they let the cuss go unpunished. So, do we think that's because the other libraries uh, are afraid of the cuss, or maybe that's because they don't want a competing library to have such a powerful individual under their control? You know, not uh, not entirely clear here exactly why the other libraries would send assassins. But regardless, uh, even though Rox isn't thrilled with this explanation, uh, he says, uh, "Yeah, he says in his deliberate, low-voiced way. You know, he hears the truth and leers his words." And he moves forward to carry out his master's command. Keep breathing, Baz. Tex says right before Rox reaches him. Keep surviving. And then, uh, of course, the chapter ends uh, you know, with, with Tex screaming. So, well, not the happiest of endings to this week's reading, but uh, hopefully you're motivated to, to read or listen onward to see what happens next. You know, what's going to happen to Baz now that he doesn't have his brother? You know, Does he get punished as well? Uh, we will have to wait and see until next week what happens, uh, what happens to Baz. So we'll read Chapter 3 next week, uh, which begins Part 2 of the Actus Trials. Uh, Baz meets an illit, which is, uh, you know, I think we heard that word a couple times uh, in Chapters 1 and 2, but that's basically a commoner or a, a peasant uh, in this world here. You know, And uh, Baz's interaction with this illit tells us a fair bit about society, so uh, pay attention there. Uh, Then Baz heads off to the conservatory. Uh, We learned today that the conservators have the job of restoring the spoken books, right? Uh, You know, when they wear out, it'll be interesting to see a little bit more about what the conservators are all about. And then uh, we'll meet another new character, uh, Liana. Uh, What do you think of her and uh, how Baz interacts with her? And uh, finally, see if you can catch the reference to the novel's title somewhere in Chapter 3, uh, and I think that's it for your homework this week. But remember, if you don't do it, no problem, because uh, I'll be doing your reading and answering all these questions and much more next week. Um, let's see. Uh, got one other listener question here. Quick one. Uh, Tom writes uh, DT, who's your favorite author? Well, thanks for the question, Tom. Uh, probably Robert Jordan uh, author of the Wheel of Time series, obviously, just because those books had such a substantial impact, uh, on my writing, you know, and also just my, my general, uh, enjoyment of fantasy, just the, the sprawling epic and world that, that, that Jordan created. Um, you know, I just, I just love that. And, um, a lot of, a lot of my writing, uh, does, does stem from, from stuff he does or did, unfortunately. Uh, I also like Joe Abercrombie a lot. Um, his first law series is excellent. Uh, I don't really write a lot like him though, but I do, I do really enjoy his books. Uh, also like Jim Butcher in his Dresden file books. They're just, uh, uh they're a lot of fun. And I guess I try at times to channel some of the dark sarcasm, uh, that his main character uses in those books too. So those are a few of my favorites. Uh, again, thanks for the question. Uh, this week's quest, and I guess I should say, I gave you the, the quest last week about the, uh, the book dragon we, we met in the prologue and who you thought my influence for that character was, or what you think my influence for the book dragon was. Uh, since I'm, I'm kind of pre-recording these first few episodes, so, you know, I think I'm not going to give the answers to any of these quests that I've given you so far, probably until about, you know, uh, probably the first episode in March of 2022, so if you are listening any time before then, feel free to send in your answers to that quest and any other ones given before March to dtkane at dtkane.com, and then we'll go over all of those quest answers in the first episode of March 2022. So uh, this week's quest, uh, about how old is Baz in chapters 1 and 2? doesn't come right out and say it, but you can figure it out uh, from the context. So uh, shoot me an email uh, if you figure that out. I think we'll just do one experience point for this quest. And finally, like I said last week, I'm going to close with a quote each week. Uh, this week's comes from George R. R. Martin, uh, of course, the author of the Game of Thrones series. Um, a reader lives a thousand lives before he dies. The man who never reads lives only one. I like that. Uh, you know, read books, people. Uh, yeah, you learn a lot and you'll have lots of fun. And uh, if you do like reading books, Tune in next week and we will read some more of mine, The Actus Trials from the Spoken Books Uprising series. Uh, So until next time, uh, I'm DT Kane and this has been DT Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Thanks for listening to DT Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. If you liked today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, Give this video a thumbs up if you liked it, and hit that subscribe button and the bell so you get notified whenever new episodes become available. If you'd like to listen to back episodes or review the show notes, visit dtkane.com podcast. DT Kane's novels are available for purchase at most major online retailers, or you can purchase directly from his website at www.dtkane.com books. You can receive a free short story and sign up for D. T. Kane's mailing list at dtkane.com/email-signup. If you'd like to connect, you can find D. T. Kane on Facebook at dtkaneauthor or Twitter at Kane Author or send D. T. Kane an email at dtkane at dtkane.com. See you next week.